Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. I have already taught this section once, and, and we talked about deadly religion, if you recall. But, and I knew this was at the end of this section, and I was, like any good American pastor, I had the good sense to pass it up. It talk, speaks of the second death, and who, who in the American church wants to talk about something like that? And, and so I said, well, that's just not, that's not, that's not friendly. And... Uh, <laughs> And the Lord said, well, it was my sermon, not yours. Uh, and, and he really did. He said, look, Steve, I, I know your sensibilities, he said, but you, 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 it, it is my pulpit and it's my sermon. And so if you don't mind, I'll, uh, let me preach what I preach. So I, I am. And I'm not going to, we're not going to, the Lord and, nor I am going to rail on you or anything else. But we are going to look at a hard subject right now. And that's why I wrote it out so carefully. We're going to look at a hard subject, but I, I want you to know, it's, it becomes quite a great blessing, and you'll see. It, looking at eternity changes the way we view our present. In fact, there's no real understanding the present life without understanding eternity. And so we'll be looking at that and letting the Lord show us. Father, open our hearts to the Word. Grant us revelation. Grant me the grace to speak, Lord, so it is your sermon and not mine, that we hear your voice and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go, verse 8. And to the angel in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Short period of time. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Would you read that last sentence? He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Following Jesus is costly. He never hid that fact for one moment. Whether we live in a hostile environment where we face violent persecution, as the church in Smyrna was, or a sensuous environment where we face daily moral temptations, such as the United States, or an intellectual environment where our faith is undermined and mocked, or a painful environment full of inexplicable sorrows that provoke nagging questions about God's character, we all have valleys to walk through on our way to heaven. And Jesus doesn't promise to take all those valleys away. Did you notice that? He says, you're about to be persecuted. And then what you'd like to have had him say is, oh, and no way I'm going to let them persecute my babies. You are not going to be, no problems. I'll get them. Don't worry. He doesn't, does he? He says, you're going to be persecuted. And here's your comfort. And we're going to look at that in a second. He promises to walk through those valleys with us, 
to send his people to help us, to remind us that he understands our pain because he suffered too, and to remind us of the great reward that awaits those who overcome. But there's still one more thing Jesus tells his followers when we face valleys. And we hear him say it in the passage we're studying today. He puts our suffering into perspective by comparing it to the eternal suffering that awaits those who deny him. He tells the church in Smyrna that the religious persecution they will soon face, as painful as it may be, pales when compared to the second death. That's the danger to be feared above all else. Though the devil might imprison and even kill them, they would find strength in remembering that he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You see that? How he comforts them? He says, what you're about to suffer is nothing to what would happen if you deny me. He said it, I didn't. What is the second death? There are two possible ways to understand this. Now, first of all, I want to define the human spirit. I have before, but it's got to be very clear. Our human spirit is that which is essentially us. Because we are made in his image, we, like him, are conscious, rational, volitional, means having a will, beings, and once conceived, eternal. This means every time a child is conceived, an eternal spirit is ignited. Like God, each of us is immortal. Now, God has always existed and always will. You began at your conception, but from that moment on, you never cease. You've just got to get a hold of that. I'm, you don't have a spirit. You are spirit. I'm speaking right now to you, the spirit. That's, that's who's hearing me. That's who's interacting. That's who's speaking to you. You are spirit. You live in a body, but you are spirit. When you die someday, your body will simply fall off. You'll rise up out of it or fall back through it. People describe it different ways. Different things happen. But you, conscious you, will be there. You don't cease when the body stops. You, not for one moment. You are immortal. God has made us in his image. Now, let's define some things. I'm, first of all, definition one here on, on this first and second death. This is the traditional look at it. This is the way it's generally interpreted, and it's not wrong. The first death is the human spirit separates from the body. In other words, natural death. They'd say, well, the second death must be spiritual death. The first death is natural death. And, and you could certainly say that. The second death, the human spirit separates from God, meaning given over to eternal darkness. However, I have a, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, wait a minute, we come into this life separated from God. It isn't like we will separate later if we don't know him. We come in separated. And so I would interpret it a little differently. It seemed to me that the first death was, was, was Adam's choice, which caused all his offspring to be born and alienated from God. All humans are born into this life separated from God. Your, you, your children, your grandchildren, all of them born with their spirit independent, rebellious, self-willed, right? Now, let me be careful. I had a mother come up who was concerned. 
That doesn't mean that, they're under, that a child or an unborn infant or a newly born child is under judgment. They haven't sinned. But their nature is separated is the point. So if they die, I believe that, yes, they go right to be with the Lord. So that's just to, to deal with that. I'm, in fact, I'm sure of it. It's another sermon. But understand something. You don't come in sort of joined to the Lord. You come in separate from the Lord with that willful rebellious independence that is from Adam's nature. I don't know if we got it in our DNA, if it's spiritual, I don't know where it comes from, but it's been, when, they, when Adam and Eve sinned, something happened to all their offspring, and we come in that way. The second death, then, would be my choice to, re, to refuse to repent and believe, causing me to enter eternity alienated from God. The second death is my choice. Adam's choice got me the first death. My choice to refuse during my lifetime to repent and yield to the Lord is the second death. Now, what is the lake of fire? And you say, where? How did you bring that in? I'll show you. Go with me to Revelation 20, verse 14. Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades, Hades being the grave, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Would you say that? This is the second death, the lake of fire. All right. In Revelation 20, verse 14, we are told that a person, die, that a person dies the second death when they're thrown into the lake of fire. Then John states, this is the second death, the lake of fire. So the two are clo closely related. Understanding the lake of fire will help us understand the second death. And I think a very important question that needs to be answered is, what kind of fire is this? Now, if, if you're thinking right now, oh my goodness, he's going to talk about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. He's headed into space. Let, let me, I, I'm not. It really is an important question, and, and I'll show you. What kind of fire is this that, that burns in the lake? What, what sort of thing, what's going on here? And I'm not just quibbling. Watch, and we'll see what I mean. I think if it's the normal form of chemical combustion with which we are so familiar, then the lake can be compared to a huge barbecue pit in which God will torture people by burning their resurrected bodies forever. I'll give an altar call in just a second. But it's possible that this lake contains a different kind of fire. Do you see that? I mean, this has so much to do with the heart of God. To say that, literally, the fact that he would resurrect the unrighteous dead. Do you understand that not only the righteous dead are resurrected, but very clearly and absolutely the unrighteous dead are also resurrected. Said several places. So to resurrect them, and then cast them into a pit burning with chemical combustion so that they are burning in agony forever with no relief is in fact the most ghastly religious concept that I believe is on planet earth. I don't think you can find another religion that has anything compared to it. And then to turn around and say, now God is a God of love. And, and he's just like Jesus. 
Now, Jesus talked about hell all the time. He talked about hell more than any other personality in the Bible. But there's something wrong in this picture in my heart. Let me say this right now. If you are, you, now the traditional approach is the barbecue pit. And I am stepping away from the, the traditional approach. I am not mandata- mandating that you have to believe that. Listen to me. I'm not talking about annihilationism. I am not talking about universal salvation. I believe that hell is indeed eternal torment. But what kind of fire is this thing? Did he create a torture chamber? It's possible that this lake contains a different kind of fire. Peter tells us that God will someday consume this present universe with a fire so hot that it will melt the elements into nothing. Why don't you look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Peter 3, uh, I'll look at verse 7 first. By, the, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for what? Fire. Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. All right. So the universe and ungodly man, everybody's going up in whatever this fire is. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And Peter applies it and says, considering that, don't you think you ought to live a godly life? And then verse 12. Looking for... And hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. And then he talks about, but we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. All through the Bible, another kind of fire is mentioned, which is not chemical combustion, but still may be a powerful destructive force. It's the fire of God's glory, which came from heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You recall that? Fire came down. Speaking of even fire and brimstone, it's called. Came down from heaven and, and absolutely uh, fried, uh, two, destroyed two cities. It's the fire that, that came down from heaven and, or came out actually from the altar and destroyed two of Aaron's sons. Do you recall? They offered natural fire where God had lit the fire of, the, tab, of, the, of the, uh, the sacrificial altar with his own fire, and they, they brought natural fire, and the fire swelled out and, and destroyed them. So they, whatever this fire is, it's, it's strong stuff. It's the fire which Moses could not see and live, remember? Moses said, show me your glory. The Lord said, I can't show you my glory. It'll kill you. And so he said, what I can do here is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, put my hand over you to defend you, and then I'll pass by, and as I'm going away at some, some distance or whatever, I'll get, let you get a glimpse. And even then, even then, Moses' face, his skin was literally glowed afterwards. I mean, he was, it was so powerful. But I'm trying to get you to see that this glory of God, it's a powerful force, this fire of God. It is... The fire which burned over the tabernacle in the wilderness and lighted the way of, for Israel at night. In Revelation 20, verse 11, John is told that the old universe will flee from his presence. Literally, it says, from the face of Jesus as he sits on his throne. And then it says, no place was found for them, meaning this universe will cease to exist. 
Would you turn with me to Revelation 20, verse 11, so you see that. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. I have a tremendous application. I do. It's really good. <coughs> 20, verse 11. You see that? I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence, from whose face, it would say in the Greek, earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. When it says no place was found for them, it means they cease to exist. There's, they, they come, something's going to happen when he, as he takes his throne and his, his, this, 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 Peter says this fire goes out, and this present universe will be completely melted, uh, evaporated, as it were, to nothing. It will cease to exist entirely. You know, the, 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 the universe, the new heavens and the earth that we'll live in will be spoken and created again. God doesn't fix this one up or to patch it up and let it heal. He, he literally, the entire universe, this one, is evaporated because the universe itself has to be resurrected, as it were. The, the, the level at which you're going to live upon, your bodies, every part of you, must be raised. The earth must be raised because God is going to release his glory at full intensity. He will be all in all in all places. And the universe can't take it. Nothing can take it of this old age. You understand? It has to be a whole new world. When Paul was on the road to Damascus, he got a glimpse of that glory of God. And what did it do to him? Blinded his eyes and scales and oozing out of his eyes. He got just a glimpse on the road, fell, saw the Lord, and he was blinded by it. The fire of God. So God doesn't need chemical combustion to destroy the universe. All he needs to do is release his glory, and this present universe will melt to nothing, leaving only the spiritual world and those who have been resurrected. Righteous and unrighteous. He will simply, right now, he will no longer withhold. He is now withholding the intensity of his glory. In heaven, I gather, it is full, full beauty. But for our sakes, he restrains his glory. And we don't see it now. We, in him, we live and move. But we don't see the glory of God as, as we will see it. It's nothing like that. He restrains it, for he would destroy us all were he to release it. For, so right now, he holds it, but at some moment, he will release it. And when he does, this present universe will go up into evaporate immediately. And only that which is resurrected, only that which is spiritual, will remain. This makes sense of Hebrews 12, 29, when it says, for our God is a consuming fire. At this moment in time, now I'm going to give you the big picture. We're going to put it all in, 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 in place and see what it, how it fits. At this moment of time in which we live, God is still restraining the intensity of his glory. Otherwise, we and the universe itself would evaporate. He does this because he's waiting for every person who will come to him. But this harvest of souls will someday end. And that ending is what is described by the book of Revelation. When the father decides the moment has arrived, he will send his son back to earth. 
This will initiate the first resurrection. There are two resurrections. I didn't make that up. Read 20 verse 5. You'll see it. It says, this is the first resurrection. Then you see a second. The righteous dead and the believers still living on the earth will be resurrected and rise to join him in the air. That's what's called the rapture. And will accompany him as he descends to earth. This will begin the 1,000 year messianic age. The rapture is simply people getting instantly resurrected while alive. The whole resurrection hits. The dead rise. The living are resurrected and who are caught up to be with him and we return. There will be, when Jesus returns, I would suppose billions of people still alive on this planet. I want you to be, you got to get that picture. He doesn't come back to some barren thing. You say, well, wasn't there Armageddon? Yes, there was. It was a terrible war and a huge number of people die in it. But there's people living all over the planet. When Jesus comes back and we who are now resurrected, there are mortals all over the planet, probably billions of them. There are many prophecies concerning the promised Messiah, which Jesus has yet to fulfill. These are recorded in the book which John sees in the Father's right hand. You recall Revelation chapter 5, it says there's, he saw the Father is sitting on the throne, and in his right hand is a scroll, remember? And it's written on both sides, meaning it's so full of words. It's chock full of prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. And then it says, who is worthy to take the, book, the scroll and un, un, undo it? And people go all sorts of places as they speculate with that, thinking, well, that's the title deed to planet Earth or the instruction manual for your car. I don't know. It, <laughs> it is quite clear what that is. I'll read it. There, these are it is the prophecies concerning the promised Messiah, which Jesus has yet to fulfill. Jesus' first coming as the Lamb is only part of what the prophets foretold. You understand? Whether you're talking about Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, I mean, there's, there's Micah, there's Zephaniah. You can go through all sorts of things that speak of the Lord's suffering. But you know that there's so many prophecies speaking of Him coming in glorious power. This is what confused the religious leaders when He arrived. When they saw him on the cross and when they saw this, this vulnerability, they thought, he can't be Messiah. Messiah is going to come and be glorious and set up his kingdom. That's what's in the scroll. But the, what the religious leaders didn't see was that it also spoke of a suffering Messiah. It spoke of both, a lamb and a lion. Who is worthy to take the scroll and, un 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 undo it and read it? What, who was it? The Lamb of God. They saw him as a lamb slain, and he, the Lamb of God, was worthy to take the scroll. The Lamb now may take and undo and become the lion. To rule the earth, which he will do upon his return, look at now, with resurrected believers serving as his deputies. That's you. We who are resurrected with him, caught up with him, come back. And we serve as his deputies. I told you there's million, billions of people still living on the earth. We serve as his deputies, extending his kingdom all over this planet for a thousand-year season. 
And of course, you'll never die. You're now resurrected. Our assignments in, this age, in that age will at least start out, we're told, based on our faithfulness in this age. He says to you who've been faithful to him who has shall more be given. He talks about give that person five cities. Give that per- Remember that? What's he talking about? This. You're in training right now. The lessons you're learning. Don't think for a second your life is ending. I don't care how. I mean, if you're, if you're really, really old. You, it is only a moment then you'll be stepping into your, to, to, to ministering on this planet. We aren't even in the new heavens and the earth. You're coming back re- soon. And you have a lot of work ahead of you. You've been called what? A, 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 a holy priesthood. He's not kidding. That's not poetry. You are going to be ministering the justice, the love, the mercy, the grace of God. You are going to be serving him for a thousand years before the new heavens and earth begin. At the end of Jesus' 1,000-year reign, a final sifting of the mortal humans living on earth will take place. People will be born and die during that period of time. You won't. They will. That's why it says in there, it'll, someone who doesn't live to be 100 will be thought accursed in Isaiah. Satan will be allowed to inspire a rebellion one more time at the end of this thing, forcing every human to choose for or against Jesus. Amazingly, a huge number will rebel, only to be destroyed by fire from heaven. And then the second resurrection will take place. The unrighteous dead from every period of earth's history, even those without a proper burial. Where did I get that? It says, and the sea shall give up its dead. Why does it say that? Those who are properly buried will come, but those who were lost at sea, no one could bury them. They descended into the darkness and were, and were lost, their bodies forever. What happens to them? God knows where every soul is. Whether they died in fire, whether they died at sea, no one's lost. That's what it's saying. I'm going to just insert something. Hold your, hang on to your seatbelts. This says something about cremation. Some people worry on this. My own feeling is the best expression of Christian faith is burial. I intend to bury my family and be buried. As an expression of my faith in the resurrection. However, I have a bunch of family who are cremated. Do you? They are not lost for one second. That's what this passage tells you right there. They are, the Lord knows exactly and has them. The body, though it be, fall, go, go to die in the waters of the ocean or be burned in a fire, they will all be there uh, so he knows where everyone is. Okay, now we're coming back to this. Then the second resurrection will take place. I told you I needed to write it out. Aren't you glad you have it? You can go home and go, what on earth did he just say? <laughs> and I give you verses. Look them up. Check me. Don't take my, you know, just... Press it. Look it up and see. I, I'm putting together all sorts of things, but I'm not making this up out of whole cloth. I know why I've said what I've said. And I'm, and I'm assembling, frankly, years of, of, of meditating on this and putting it together in what I, I believe is, a, is the scenario I think I see there. 
The second resurrection will take place. The unrighteous dead from every period of earth's history, even those without a proper burial, and maybe the righteous dead who died during the thousand-year period. See, they'll be there too. They got to come back. Will be resurrected into eternal bodies. They will be judged. The, the unrighteous will. Shown the many times they refuse to listen to God speak to their conscience and whatever else. And thrown into the lake of fire. Now, here we go. If the lake of fire is a picture of the new universe, full of the brilliant fire of God's glory, rather than a chamber containing chemical combustion, then the doom of the unrighteous will be eternal immersion in the intense presence of God. Surrounded by light, they will remain in spiritual darkness, unwilling to see the truth. Immersed in his spirit, they will remain hostile to him, full of ungodly attitudes formed while on earth. They will weep and gnash their teeth in torment. And I give you all the references to that. The Bible offers no hope. Listen to me, this is terribly important. The Bible offers no hope that there will be an opportunity for these to repent and escape this misery on the other side. It seems the unbelieving heart is sealed at death and can no longer change for the better. That truth has got to be faced. This means they will exist forever, immersed in the ocean of God's glory, with no means of escape. What will be heavenly for believers is hellish for those who hate him. God hasn't created a torture chamber, in my opinion, for the unbeliever. They have created their own. He merely allows the human the freedom to separate from him, but in eternity there will be no place to hide. This is the second death. Separated from him forever, tormented by hearts full of hatred, fear, lust, shame, greed, anger. What could be more just than this? Allowing people to live with the hearts they've chosen for themselves over a lifetime. If you watch people as they get very old, you'll see a remarkable thing. Some get sweeter and sweeter. And some, you can literally see what I'm describing taking place before they've died. You can see the torment of their souls. You can see the bitterness, the fear, the greed, the shame, the stuff just churning inside them. It's awful. God hasn't done that. God didn't cause that. The, 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 the traditional picture is God takes and throws people into a torture chamber. I'm saying today, no, he, he fills this universe with his fire. You'll be in it too. Only you'll love it. <laughs> All will be. There is no place. Dante's Inferno, the whole thing is that God will put out his hand and shadow a place for the... For the, for the for the wicked. No, he won't. There'll be no place. He is all in all. He must be. They all will be cast into the fire of God. But the heart can't change on the other side. And so some in this misery, some in who they've created and are refusing him for a lifetime, refusing to trust him, refusing to love him, refusing to, to, to repent of this independence and rebellion and, 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 and come to him, pass into death separate from him and remain in that darkness, immersed in his presence, 
forever. Application. In speaking to the church in Smyrna, Jesus spoke to believers in every age, saying, I will allow you to be persecuted and tempted for limited periods of time, but don't be afraid. Strengthen yourself by putting your eyes on eternity. This will give you perspective. You'll understand that the, re the rewards here are nothing compared to eternal life, the crown of life he speaks of. And the suffering you may face here is nothing compared to the suffering you would face if you were to deny me in order to buy yourself a little more time, the second death. The portrayal of God as a cruel judge who throws people into a torture chamber of fire, I believe, in my opinion, is a slanderous distortion of the truth. In effect, all humans will enter into his fire in resurrection bodies. For those who love him, it will be heaven. And we will draw near him and with each other in indescribable joy in a place called the New Jerusalem. For those who hate him, it will be hell. And they will be located apart from us to live forever with the hearts they have created for themselves. Outside the walls. That passage, Revelation 22, 14 and 15, is a real troubler for those that have the barbecue pit theology. They don't know how it fits. And the honest ones will admit it. But their judgment is completely just. When I see this truth, I realize it's urgent that I do everything I can to help as many as I can meet Jesus before they die. Knowing what I know means I cannot stand by and passively watch people headed into such an eternity. Not too long ago, I got a call from, from family in Southern California about one of my family members. He was coming to the end of his life. Would, would, was I coming down there anytime soon? Well, no. They said, I said, what's his condition? They said, we're not sure. And I said, then I'll be on the plane in the morning. Of course I'd go. How can you not? There's nothing to do with can I, you know, airplane tickets or inconvenience. We're at this point where there's an open door. You don't let anybody go into that. You, you see it? I'm telling you, as I under, the more I see what the reality and the reasonableness of this all, it's terrifying to me. I cannot let anyone go there without doing everything I can to stop them. I can't talk them into it. I can't argue them into it. I can't force anybody to believe. I, I know that. But boy, can I be ready when there's an opportunity and I can pray and I can care and ask God to give me an opportunity and he will. I went down and was able to lead that person to the Lord. When my oldest daughter was getting married, she said, Daddy, I want my grandfather at my wedding. Now, you have to know, I had not seen my father, nor heard from him, nor knew that he was alive for 45 years. I said, why on earth would you want to do that? And she said, no, I really want my, my grandfather there. I said, I don't know if he's alive, dear. Can we, can we just go on and... And, and, you know, let's, let's not do this. And uh, she was adamant. And uh, so I went, and I went up and I, I sought the Lord. And I said, Lord, um, do I have to do this? I mean, what are we doing here with, with finding my father? 
We, hadn't, we didn't know where he was. We had a clue where somebody, a friend of mine had sent me a num, uh, an address and said it might be him. I had no idea. It wasn't where he'd been or anything like that. And I said, Lord, do I have to do this? And the Lord, the Lord said, honor thy father and mother. I said, I have honored my mother. <laughs> and I said, I don't know if this man's alive. I mean, he's just abandoned me completely. I mean, what, what do you want from me here kind of thing? And this is what he said. How can you honor him if you've not tried to tell him about me? I said, oh, I get it. I see. This isn't about finding my daddy. This is about honoring my father with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I said, oh, I went down to my, I said to my daughter, I said, if you have the courage to do this, I don't. I said, there's no way I can make that phone call. It's physically impossible. So if it's going to happen, you will have to call. Do you have that? You need to know my daughter would call the president of the United States. She's, <laughs> she's, the, none of my children, it's, it's kind of unnerving. They don't, have, they don't have the fear that they ought to have. Um, <laughs> And they get that from their mother. It's, it's genetic. They, and, and so I'm, I'm back there watching the family. And so, boy, yeah, you betcha. She, she called and, and indeed found him. My goodness. And in the, I knew him for five years before he died. And, in, and indeed, I, I was able to lead him to the Lord. How could you not? Do you, you follow me? If you understand the second death, How could you not? I ha we had to. We had to. I got one more really good point. I also discover in this a new degree of mercy. My old heart won't go with me into eternity because I have been given a new heart. See, we've talked about how the, the, the unrighteous carry their, their heart with them. I won't. Neither will you. This is what Paul means when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, they have become new. And it's the glory of the promise that God makes through Ezekiel when he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So I will carry none of the pain, shame, anger, fear from this life into the next. When I receive Christ, the Holy Spirit and my spirit, I and the Holy Spirit are joined we are wedded. There is no separation whatsoever. In fact, that relationship of intimacy with God has begun now. I am now. No separation. Amen? Spirit has come within me, joined to me now. So, do I still have some wounds and stuff that I deal with? Do I? Yeah, but my old stuff stays here. That is huge good news. So I will carry none of the pain, shame, anger, fear from this life into the next. I will be completely whole and joyous inside and out. At last, I will be 
fully in him and he in me. Hallelujah. 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 Would you stand with me? I cannot possibly speak a sermon like this without giving a moment, an opportunity for someone here who says, you know, I have, as you speak of this, I realize that I am still someone who is living in my own independence and my own rebellion. I've really never reached out to the Lord and said, I, I love you. I trust you. Um, I, I repent of my independence and all of that. And I come to you. I want to be with you. I mean, ask yourself, if you were to die right now, you, you would know. Are you living independently, separately, suspiciously of God? Well, then that's exactly what will happen on the other side. There you go. You're in it. It won't change. You're not going to get over there and go, ah, I was just kidding. You can't change it on the other side. You are what you are when you pass through the veil. So where are you? Well, right now would be a wonderful moment to just say, I choose to not be as separate from him, to not be independent or rebellious from him anymore. It starts with a choice. You may say, I don't know how I'm going to get my life together. I've got problems. Hey, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He will work with you and clean you up. But where it all starts is you and your will saying, I'm done being separate. I'm done being alone. I choose Jesus Christ. I embrace the love of God. I want to be with him forever. Anyone right now say, I need to say that. I need to say, Jesus, I choose you this moment. Would you raise your hand? This is how you do it. This is your moment. You can do this, and this, this, this separation could be ended. Keep your hand. For, like, let me just say, yes. Did I see your hand? Praise God. Yes, hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. This is it. This is it. You're choosing right now. Yes. Who else? Yes. Blessed be the Lord. Yes. No one can do this for us, but no one can keep us from doing it either. Yes. This are saying, I'm coming to you, the Lord. I know you love me. I know you're a good and a pure God. I want my eternity with you. I do, will not, no longer am I separate. No longer am I running away. You're my God, and your son has died for me, and I trust it entirely. Anyone else? Right now, I just give one more minute. This is an important moment to say, yes, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're settling something so important. I, I can't tell you how important this is. You will not cease at your death, and you are determining what your future will be. Anyone else? Yes, praise God. Thank you, Lord. All right, church, here we are. Let's pray together. And just those of you who raised your hand in particular, let's pray this and mean it. Just speak it to him right now. This is, God is listening. He's right there with you. He's receiving your surrender. He's receiving you. He loves you. He loves you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I have been independent. I tried to live life without you. I was afraid you'd mess it up. 
I don't know why I thought that. But today, I realize that's a lie. That you formed me in my mother's womb. You've ordered my steps and numbered my days. No one loves me more than you do. I come home today. I put my hand in yours. And I say, I trust you. I am no longer a rebel. No longer alone. But I welcome you into my life. To join me. Be with me forever. And I with you. I thank you for sending your son. I have sinned. And I, 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 have, I have let forces into my life. That if Jesus Christ had not died for me, they would take me away from you forever. But he did die. And I believe it. And I believe he died for me. That the death he died was my death. That the punishment he suffered was what I deserved. That he died there on the cross so that I would be forgiven and live forever with all my heart. I put my arms around his cross. I cling to his cross. He has forgiven me all my sins. He will forgive me all my sins. Because of him, I belong to you. Heaven is waiting for me. An eternity in your glorious fire. I love you, Lord. From this day forward, I'm all yours. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.